0: The New Age Christianity podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher, and you are listening to the New Age Christian Podcast. This is episode number 22, and today I want to talk to you about a roadmap to heaven. So I don't know if you have ever considered that maybe God has a plan, and maybe humanity is actually on a road to somewhere. Something that I saw in scripture, or I was shown in scripture by a mentor of mine, Tony Tadella, a few years ago, was a process that Jesus lays out in his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We're all familiar with John 3.16, but in my opinion, the most important verses in that chapter are right at the beginning, where Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God, you must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So. For my part, I would rather enter the kingdom than just look at it from afar. And today, I'm going to do my best to show you just how to do that. Alrighty, New Age Christians, hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good month and a good 2019, assuming that you're listening to this episode in 2019. And if not, maybe you're listening to this episode a thousand years later, and New Age Christianity is the norm, which would be amazing, even though, even so, I should say, hope you're having a good day. So today's episode, The Roadmap to Heaven, is something that uh, was inspired by a discussion that is on the private Facebook group and uh, as of the recording of this episode, it is March 1st. Uh, you won't be hearing this episode until a few about a month later. And, uh, and so if you want to go find the discussion, I think it was posted yesterday. So it would have been February 28th, 2019. And on it, uh, J.P. LeBlanc posted his thoughts about one of a previous, uh, another uh, episode, episode 17 of the podcast, Becoming Fearless. And in that, he shared that you know, this idea inside of Christianity that he sees so much that is essentially boiled down to who's in and who's out, right? Who does God love and who does God judge? Who is, who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? And how our job as Christians in the world is to convince everybody else that we're right and that they need to join us if they want to be on the in-group. And that's not unique to Christianity in the sense that, you know, Islam is a very in versus out group as in Judaism is less so, but at least historically they were. And there's some other, you know, religious concepts that pretend to be more open-minded, but let's be honest, pretty much everyone on a subconscious level has this idea of who's in and who's out. So, We're going to talk about that, and that's really the inspiration. JP, I just want to give you a shout out. Thank you so much for participating in the discussion. For those of you who haven't joined the private Facebook group, if you want to join, there is a night, just go to newagechristianity.org. On the front page, there's a nice big blue banner about halfway down that says Facebook private group, you know, request invite here, put your name in and your Facebook email and uh, you will get an invite. It's a private group simply for the sake that we don't want to just open ourselves up to the whole world and have a bunch of mean-spirited people come in because you know in spiritual and religious discussion that can happen. But at the same time, it's not about having groupthink and you don't have to come in and agree with everyone. We just request that you be respectful and honoring. And if you prove yourself to be a jerk over and over again, you will be kicked out of the group. Not because we disagree with you, but because you're not being kind. But anyway, so if you want to join the private group, just go request access. I do need your Facebook email so that I can find you on Facebook. So if you don't, you know, if you just give me some random email, you're not going to get an invite. You need to be invited via your Facebook account email. So thank you, JP, for participating in the discussion. And you've inspired an entire podcast episode. So back to the subject. When humanity assumes this idea or this stance of who's in and who's out, I've often meditated on what is the underlying assumptions that we have to have in place, that need to be in place in order for that to be a thing. I'm at the point now where I see humanity as everyone is part of God. Everyone is saved. Everyone is in. It's a matter. It's not a matter of where you're going when you die, right? Which is actually not even Hebraically was never the point, uh, death and life, heaven and hell have historically been ideas of how you live. You can live, you're living death or you're living hell or you're living heaven and you're living life. So Jesus even says this way, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He who believes in me has eternal life. Right. And yet many of those people still died. So what is he talking about? He's talking about a way of being. He's not talking about a destination. Sure, there may be heavenly and and hellish destinations for those in the future, which is a whole other discussion about the creative capacity within our subconscious minds, but I'm not going there today. I'm talking about the assumptions of who's in and who's out require you to have a few different uh, conceptions of how God even works. The ones I don't hold anymore, but I, it, it kind of reminds me when I hear people try to say, you know, well, you must go out and get people saved. And their idea is save them from hell when they die and get them into heaven when they die. Whereas I would say salvation has nothing to do with your destination or your identity in the sense of whether or not God loves you or is going to judge you. It has everything to do with your experience of being, as Jesus says, "I came that you might have life and have it abundantly." He didn't say, "I came that you might be right," right? So, some of the basic assumptions—I kind of wrote them down. They kind of lead one to another, and it's this endless circle of the knowledge of good and evil. So, it, you know, it starts with the basic assumption that God is unsatisfied with humanity, right? If you unpack it, like most people think, they look around and they go, "Okay." I feel like God is good and loving and life-giving and creative because, well, everything exists and it's either science and everything's an accident or it's God. And by the nature of life and just kind of the subconscious energy of birth and love and color and sun and light, like we kind of know that God must be kind of good. And it's a subconscious discussion that often becomes a conscious discussion and gets way more philosophical. But on a subconscious level, we kind of have this knowing that things are supposed to be good and that things are supposed to be good because the creator of it all is supposed to be good. But things are bad because we've screwed it up. And therefore, this good God is unsatisfied or angry with or reluctantly has to kill us all because something's wrong with humanity. So God is unsatisfied with humanity, therefore we need to do something to fix that. Because this dissatisfaction is on our side of the coin, because if we were living right, and if we were doing what he wanted, then he would be happy with us. He's not happy with us. Therefore, we need to shape up or ship out. So, step one, God's unsatisfied. Step two, we need to do something to fix it, which then leads to, well, if we have to do something to fix it, then that means there must be a formula for that something to do. Because if breathing was what was required for God to be happy with you, then we would all, God would be happy with all of us. So there's, to have God happy with you, it must be a a unique formula that not everybody understands and not everybody lives. I don't believe this is true, by the way. I believe God is happy with you, always has been, right? And that any sense of separation from God has been in the minds of men. As Paul says, that you were enemies in your mind. You were never enemies with God, but we think we are. So, if there's a formula to please God, that means not everybody finds that formula, which means some people are in and some people are out. Or another way to put it, some people are right and some people are wrong. Okay, so if that's the case, then obviously we want to be the ones who get it right. So now that leads to the other thing. So if I need to be right, or if some people are right and some people are wrong, clearly I want to be right. Therefore, I must frame my rightness by understanding why everyone else is wrong, right? There's no way that I can accept the multiplicity of language and ideas. There's no way that I can honor a Buddhist for understanding love and life. There's no way I can honor an ancient Native American for understanding God. Um, One of the things I'm studying is the the Toltec wisdom tradition. If you're unfamiliar with some of the books, uh, you know, The Four Agreements, The Fifth Agreement, um, The Voice of Knowledge, uh, some of those books out there by Miguel Ruiz and his son, Junior and Jose. So there's, anyway, So there's these other wisdom traditions that have a ton of truth and a ton of beauty. But when I have to be right, my rightness depends on, I have to be framed by people who are wrong. Because if everyone is right, then I completely lose the previous argument that there's in and out. Right? So if there's in and out, then some people are right, some people are wrong. I have to have wrong people in order to frame my rightness. And then... Therefore, those of you who are wrong, because I'm right, clearly, those of you who are wrong, God is unsatisfied with you. So God is still mad at you. God is still judging you. God is still unsatisfied with you. And now you're back up at the beginning. That God is unsatisfied with you, therefore... (laughs) we must do something to fix it. That means people are in and out and I want to be in. Therefore, I have to judge myself against people who are out and those who are out, God is unsatisfied with, and it's just an endless cycle. And this cycle is absolutely dependent on knowing what is good or evil, what the right answers are and what the wrong answers are. Every Christian, every Muslim, every new age person, every person who's judging their own righteousness by comparing it to somebody else's unrighteousness is looking at that tree and seeing the way to earn yourself deity. That if I eat of this tree, then I will be like a God. Ergo, they are not like God I am like God. And this entire cycle comes back to the very original challenge, which is, how am I separate from God in the first place? And if I'm not separate from God and you're not separate from God, then really we're not even separate from each other because we are one. As Jesus says, you know, praise. I pray that they would be one as we are one and and I am in them and they are in me and you and I and they am in Like all this oneness stuff all up in John 17 is not figures of speech. It's an energetic reality that if we begin to understand that we're not separate from God, he never was angry for, with us, and that we are already approved by the very nature of our existence, that there is nothing outside of him. There is no one outside of him. And the entire redemptive process has nothing to do with pleasing him, but everything to do with entering into heaven now. And that the entire redemptive process which there is one. I'm not saying there's not, but it's not about pleasing God. It's about getting yourself to the fulfillment of life. Jesus says, I came that you would have life and that you would have it abundantly. I did not come that you would be right. I did not come to bring more rules and more regulation. I came to separate you from those things. So how is it, If the whole point of humanity and the whole point of the redemptive process is for us to get to a place where we can enter the kingdom now, is there a map? And the answer is yes. So in John 3, Jesus goes and talks to Nicodemus. Nicodemus asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then says, How can a man be born again? How can he enter into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, dude, you're a teacher and you don't even know what I'm talking about. You must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So have you ever noticed the difference between being born again to see the kingdom and being born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom? I don't know about you. But I would rather enter the kingdom than just look at it. You know, and I think I said that in the intro. I can't remember. But I mean, to be honest, I mean, wouldn't you rather live in it than just observe it from afar? And so if life is about abundance and life abundantly is living in the kingdom, to me, this passage by Jesus is the most important passage in scripture, period. Because scripture is ultimately about us figuring out who we are, right? It's not, God doesn't need the Bible, right? God knows it. The creation doesn't need the Bible. We need the Bible. So if the Bible's primary point is to help us figure out who we are, then for me, honestly, and I've studied the the crap out of the Bible, for me, the most important verse of the Bible, the most important passage, is this, where Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom, and you must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom. So this, to me, this episode and this subject is one of those ones I've had so many people come for teaching and surround my life for years, and I kind of take it for granted that people understand the the importance of this process and understanding so when you got saved quote unquote air quotes saved from yourself not from an angry god and not from a demon known as satan but from yourself and you got saved from your own prison of your own making that you were enemies in your own mind when you got saved did anybody ever communicate to you that it was step one right? Most people are kind of communicated to that, that, oh, once you get saved, you're good to go. It's the finish line. You know, all of this, and this perception is I finally made it. (laughs) For me, it's literally the complete opposite, is that once you get saved, or you accept Jesus, or you realize, and really all you're doing, born again, is you're getting born again, and what it is, is that you are, You're getting to a place where you can see the potential of kingdom. So once, you know, you must be born again to see the kingdom. Christians, when you become a Christian, and when you get saved, you agree on the idea of an abundant life that you can see. But you know what's really interesting about everyone who's born again and who stops there? That abundant life is always in the future. Think about it. Well, someday I'll be perfect. Someday I'll be happy. Someday I'll be righteous. Someday I'll be in heaven. Someday, someday, someday. Being born again simply gives you eyes to see what's possible. And there are millions and millions and millions of Christians Who have seen what's possible because they look at the life of Jesus, look at the lives of the apostles, and they go, oh my gosh, that is so possible. But then they stop there because possible is always in the future. And if you know the power of belief and you know the power of the creative process in the individual, if your abundance is always in the future, it's never now right? Jesus says, when you pray, believe that you have, present tense, what you've asked for, and it shall be given to you. And so that's the formula for pulling the future, the shall be given to you, into the now, is you have to believe that it's now. That's what faith is, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it literally pulls those things you're hoping for into the now. And so when you're born again, that stuff, that that abundance, that life you're looking for, that perfection, that righteousness, that sinlessness, that joy, those fruits of the spirit, they're always in your future. And so born again views everything through the eyes of the future. And that's why Jesus says, you must be born again to see the kingdom. So you haven't entered it yet, but you can see it. And just, I mean, I, from where I sit, looking at so many Christians, I love you guys. And I love I love, honestly, I'm, I'm at the boy. I am learning more and more just to love everyone. Uh, but I, I love where I come from. I love the traditions and I love the, the, the sincerity of so many Christians that I grew up with. But here's the deal if all you are is born again, then heaven, the future heaven, the after I die heaven, that's where all your hope is. And I would tell you, that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't came, come to get you to heaven, he came to bring heaven to you, right now, in your life, today. So if you want to enter that kingdom, you have to go beyond being born again. So born again is exactly what you think, it is quote unquote believing in Jesus and it's, there's a way more philosophical statement around that and it would definitely be a whole episode to itself what believing in Jesus really means but on the surface it's good enough to say you no know, do you do you believe that Jesus died and rose again and then do you believe that that sacrifice that he made in some way created peace between you and God if you believe that then that is exactly what you receive that's why you believe it you don't you don't have to do anything you just okay yeah Jesus died God's happy with me now sweet that's why believing is is how you get born again honestly there's way more to it, but that's the simplicity of it. So that is what born again is. But so many Christians stop there because they don't have a view for the kingdom in their life now, heaven in their life now. So born again is to see the kingdom, but you have to enter it. Now, at this point, I want to interject. Those of you who have heard me teach, um, there is what is known as the types and shadows of scripture, or that that's the... The Bible way to say it, typologies and everything like that. Really, what it is, is it's allegories and analogies. And one of the major messages through the allegories and analogies of the Bible that comes through over and over and over and over is this three step process born again, born of water, and born of spirit. It is marked by the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies in the temple. It's marked by egypt and the wilderness and the promised land in the story of israel it's marked by saul david and solomon in the stories of the kings it's marked by the feast of passover the feast of unleavened bread and the feast of the ingathering anyway the three major feasts it's marked over and over and over throughout the scripture through these different stories and guess what it's also marked by the fact that you're a three-part being you have a spirit a soul and a body And it is your spirit that is born again. So when Jesus, or when God says to Adam in the garden, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. His body didn't die that day, but his spirit experienced death. His spirit entered into a way of being that was death, right? So get out of your mind, if you can, the idea that death is a moment and replace it with the way, the reality that death is a way of living your cousin who's a drug addict and, and, and is miserable and hates life, he's living death. Not he is living death, but his life is a life of death, right? Yourself, when you enter into these seasons where you're, you know depression and difficulty and sorrow, da, da, you are that is living in inversion. And living in inversion is simply death. So, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. That day, Adam's spirit in inversion. His body lived for another almost thousand years. So that is why your spirit is born again, right? Jesus became a life-giving spirit. Okay. So that is born again, and it is personified for your spirit and in the different typologies. For those of you who want typology teaching, I don't know by the time you hear this episode, it may already be going, but we're going to be doing a Typology 101 class. And then after that, it'll be 201, 301, 401. I think there's going to be five classes total to get into the depths of the typology of scripture and the messages they carry. Uh, If you don't sign up for the live class, it's okay. The classes will be recorded and then you can purchase them on the website and take them virtually. But, uh, typologies is a massive thing inside of scripture. And this is a, a, one of the major overviews of the point of typologies, you know, not everybody wants the, the Bible ease, but a lot of people want to know the point of it. And the point is living heaven in your life. Now having a life abundantly. I mean, that's a, that is the point of all of this. So born again is step one. Most people stop there and therefore their future is always where they find heaven and they never find it now. So then Jesus says, You must be born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So these next two steps, I'm gonna break them apart, but understand that they actually kind of serve as one. So let me explain that a bit using a typology of the temple. If you understand that the outer court was separate from the the holy place and the holy of holies, they were inside the main building. And then there was a wall between those two, but The outer court was essentially a courtyard, and then the building itself was only two rooms. It was the holy place and the holy of holies. And they were two different rooms, but they were one building. So born of water and born of spirit are two different experiences, but there's one result. Okay. And I'm going to explain it and unpack it a little bit more. So born of water, yes, it is. And you'll find it if you Google it or if you look it up in any commentary, it's a reference to baptism. The thing is, is I spent, I don't know about you, but I spent pretty much my entire Christian, professional Christian life, having zero clue what baptism really meant. Now, in my personal story, I hit a season where I was led by the spirit to fast for 10 days. And really it was, <laughs> I don't know if I was led by the spirit. I came to the end of my rope and I told spirit, I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray. And if I die of starvation, it's better than living with sin anymore because I'm just done with this. And 10 days in, so I, ha- I didn't actually pick 10 days. It just ended up being 10 days on the 10th day, uh, that night, the spirit led me to go, uh, spend the night on the beach. And I woke up the next morning and I don't know what spirit did at the time. I know now, but at the time I had no clue what had happened, but I knew that everything had changed and my life, like the sky was bluer. My dogs were with me. They were smiling. The birds were louder. The, the waves were crisper. I mean, everything was just amazing and I had no clue what had happened, but now I can tell you what it was, was I was born of water. Baptism is the symbol, but for most of my life, I was just told, well, baptism is, it tells other people you're a Christian. Really? Serious? Like, <laughs> yeah, it can do that. But last time I checked, everyone who watched me get baptized was a Christian themselves. And I don't think the rest of the world really gives a crap. I'm just going to say, like, it should be my love. Jesus says they will know you by your love, right? He doesn't say they will know you by how, like, whether or not you got immersed in a in a pool. Like, people should know you're a Christian by how you act, not by whether or not you got dunked. That's a soapbox. I think you probably get it. So, but that's what I was told. Like, well, you get baptized so that, you know, everyone else will know. Wow. I'm just going to leave that right there. No. Baptism is is symbolic in nature by the fact that you are burying your old nature. So there is a teaching, and it's it's very common in the church today, that you're a sinner to the day you die. So you're saved, right? You're born again, you're saved, but you're a sinner to the day you die, which is why born again always sees everything in the future. I won't be perfect. I won't be righteous. I won't be holy. I won't have a good, I won't be in heaven until I die physically. And baptism is saying, no, no, no. I died on the cross. I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ and my Adam nature, Adamic nature is done. So let me ask you a question. There are two great deaths in human history. One is, as the scripture says, all died in Adam, right? And then another one is that all died in Christ. Okay. And that's a little insight into the second death. You know, which one of those is the second one? If you want to go study that in Revelation, that the first death is Adam and the second death is Christ. And we've all died in both of them, right? There's the two greatest deaths in, in humanity. So if... I died in Adam and because of Adam's sin, we all sinned, right? Because we say that, right? Well, Adam screwed up. Therefore, we're all sinners. Wow. I mean, I agree with you, but wow, that's a really powerful death. That's really crazy that that one man's mistake would cause everyone to sin. Huh? I'm not going to get into whether or not that story's allegory and that Adam represents humanity and all this stuff. Just... Let's say it was just one dude, and because he's the father of us all, we're all sinners. That's what most Christians teach, and that's what most Christians believe, and I have no problem with it. Yet, it does make Adam's sin, his mistake, really freaking powerful, right? So, if we all died in Christ, which these same Christians teach, why is it that Christ's death is not seen as equally powerful, right? I didn't have to agree with Adam's death in order for it to rule over me, but Christians all over the place are saying, if you don't agree with Jesus's death, it didn't work. Wait a minute. The Bible says how much more, how much more powerful is Jesus's death than Adam's death? Why is it that Adam's death does not require my agreement? It does not require my acquiescence to his death and his choice. But Jesus's does, right? Jesus's is less powerful somehow. And that that he didn't really draw all men unto himself. He only drew those who he knew would choose. Like, well, I wish Adam would have been that aware. That would have been nice because I certainly wouldn't have chosen to die in him. Anyway, born of water is simply a... It is what it means to bury that Adam nature, that you literally leave the old nature. So my name is Austin, right? So the old Austin is dead. I was born as a sinner and all that stuff, but now the old Austin is dead. Now, there's a whole lot into that. The dirty little secret is, is I wasn't even born as a sinner it's simply what eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil does. And you tell yourself that you're a sinner and you measure yourself and everything like that. I was born, Jesus, by the way, was the last Adam, right? S- 2000 years ago, that whole Adam sinner bullcrap stopped, done. The only thing keeping it alive is religion. The antichrist, the anti you are anointed is the only thing keeping a la- that lie alive. But in the reality is, is that Jesus was the last Adam. And since him, there has never been another Adam. We've all been sons of God. We've just not believed it. Okay. Go study that one. There's so many things in here that in this process, that if you unpack what they mean, you will realize this really is how I get heaven into my life today. And the religious bullcrap really is how you keep hell in your life. So, born of water, represented by baptism is, you can imagine yourself going under the water, and when you're in there, you're believing that you're leaving your old nature behind. This is awesome. One of the other types and shadows is with Israel coming out of Egypt, when they come through the Red Sea, right, and they're leaving slavery behind, the Egyptians try to come in to the red sea and chase them down and what happens the walls collapse and the entire egyptian army is buried that that those old masters that old Adamic nature that old sin master is buried underneath the waters of baptism so if you're a christian you've been taught that you're a sinner to the day you die then you should probably just die now spiritually and stop being a sinner that way literally the next second, you you don't need to go through a ceremony, right? You can do it if you want. I think the power of ceremony is beautiful. And I do enjoy baptizing people in that sense, because it is a beautiful experience to say, you're no longer who you were. You're somebody new. That old master, that old slave master is buried and gone. So yeah, you're a sinner to the day you die. So maybe you should just go ahead and die because that's what you do in Christ. So die today. Spiritually, I'm not saying, go kill yourself physically I'm saying die today spiritually And stop being a sinner That's what I did on the beach all those years ago I was so tired of sin That I just told spirit, you've got to do something Or I'm done And I literally died and And I did it once for all So Jesus, you know, therefore reckon yourselves dead to sin Once for all Okay In the same way Jesus did, once for all so you don't have to do this over and over and over and over and over again. The die daily concept that the Bible talks about with Paul, go look at the context. It absolutely references his physical interaction with danger because he's a Christian, that he faces his own physical death daily. And it's that all—it's that is not a spiritual concept in any way, shape or form. It is a physical choice he's made to die to his own safety daily, his own will and everything like that. So, this is not about crucifying your Adamic nature every day, every morning. Die to yourself, die to yourself. That whole, die once for all. Jesus is not being sacrificed every morning, right? That's an old covenant mindset that when you needed to, when you sinned, you would go sacrifice again. That's the die daily. So, if you're preaching die daily, you're preaching old covenant, right? You're preaching old, broken, worn out systems that were never designed to make you righteous. If you're preaching die once, to yourself for all sin, that you don't have to keep coming back, that you're good to go forever. Now you're preaching new covenant because that's the one Jesus established. So what does this do? So if, if born again means that you're, that your heaven is always in your future, how do you then, so you're seeing the kingdom, but you haven't entered it. Now you want to start entering the kingdom. You want to start coming into these promises and heaven now, The first step is, is you have to release yourself from your past, hence leaving that old nature under the water, leave that old slave master buried under the Red Sea and leave that old sin nature of, of Austin behind you. So being born of water disconnects you from your past. Now, as you might guess, being born of spirit, now you're being raised to new life in Christ. And so now you're connecting to something different. So let me unpack that a little bit. So in Romans eight fourteen it says, those who are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And in, uh, when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, where he lays out this whole roadmap, he says, as the wind comes and go, you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with those who are born of spirit. So I would I think, very accurately argue that being born of spirit is those who are led by the spirit. And then in Romans, it says again, that creation is groaning for the unveiling of the sons of God. This is in Romans 8. So in Romans 8, creation is groaning for the unveiling of the sons of God. And just a few verses earlier, it defines who the sons of God are, those who are led by the spirit. And I'm saying that this is those who are born of spirit right? That they're being led like the wind. You don't know where they're coming from or where they're going, but they're being led by, like by the Spirit. And that this is being a son of God, and this is what creation is waiting for. Now, let's just make it plain and simple. Oh, I forgot to mention, born of water is about your soul. So born again is about your spirit. Born of water is about your soul. And born of spirit is about your natural man, your body. Does your spirit and your soul need to be born of spirit? No, they already are spirit. They're already spirit substance, but your body needs to be born of spirit. And that is bringing the reality of God's I Amness into the earth through you, that you would be led by the spirit of God, that you would be able to be like Christ, where he says, I only do what I see the father doing. So here's the crazy thing. Born of spirit connects you to the present as heaven. Because what have you done? You've been born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom of heaven. Born of water disconnects you from the past. Born of spirit brings heaven to the present. So if you think about baptism going down under the water, if you're looking at the camera, me on my hand, just going down into the water, you're releasing the past, coming up out of the water. You're now putting on something new. So it says, uh, you know, elsewhere in the scripture, it talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new. And another thing that talks about that you have been in Romans 7, it talks about being freed from the old husband and now you are free to marry another. So here's the thing. A lot of people, they put off this idea that they are a sinner and they go, sweet, I'm, I'm not a sinner now. So you're free from the old Adam, but have you officially married yourself to the new one? So you've been born of water, but you haven't yet born of spirit. You've come into the holy place, but you haven't yet entered into the holy of holies. You've come out of Egypt into the wilderness, but you haven't yet entered into the promised land. All right? There's a process, by the way, the Egypt promise, wilderness promised land the uh, Israelites weren't able to enter the promised land until that old generation died away. So there again, that's that other baptismic thing. So if you're someone who doesn't believe you're a sinner anymore, great. You've been born of water, but you're not yet living in the kingdom. Why? Because you're not yet being led by the spirit of God. Now there is, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true. And I am not preaching that statement. I'm not saying you're not living in the kingdom because you're not being led by the spirit of God. I'm not saying that in a judgmental way. What I'm saying is I can definitively tell you through experience and through teaching people, other people, I was going to say many people, but definitely multiple people that at some point, once you've let go of something old and you kind of, now you're free to marry another what it is is you actually live a life for a while where you don't truly, often you don't immediately sign up to live as God in the flesh, where all you do is what you see the Father doing, you. because we came out of this kind of servant slave mindset, where you're a servant of God and all you all, your only choice is just to do what He says or else. And now instead of being a servant, you've become a son. And it's like the prodigal son where the older brother who never left doesn't even understand that he could throw a party any day he wants because he's got a servant mindset. And yet the one who did leave comes back in humility and he gets the party. Because when you come back to the father's house with this new mindset that you actually are a son and that it is better to be in his house, that it is better to live a life where you're only doing what you see the father doing, right? because it's his kingdom. You can go build your own kingdom, right? And if I could rephrase Jesus, you must be born again to see what's possible. You must be born of water to rid yourself of the old ways. And you must be born of spirit to enter into a new way of living. Well, a lot of people enter into that new way of living as I am my own king, I am my own ruler, and I'm going to create the life I want. It's definitely better than stopping before, but you're not yet living in the kingdom of heaven because heaven is oneness with God and with everyone else. And if you want to experience life in a way that is beyond your own pleasure and beyond your own freedom, and you want to participate in a story that's much bigger than you, then signing up, enlisting, giving your life over to the spirit of God and being born of spirit, now creation is waiting for you. Waiting for those of us who would live like Jesus and would take our identity, take our courage, take our strength, take our I amness and say, Father, what do you need from me? I am an unfettered, unbiased, completely fearless vessel through whom you can do whatever you need to do. You need me to die on a cross? I'll die on a cross. You need me to sacrifice my son? I'll sacrifice my son. You need me to be a slave for 14 years in Egypt before I can save the whole world? I'll do it. Right? There's a way of living that even in the midst of the crap, because you're in the kingdom of heaven, even the crap has joy. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. You think if he was living Jesus' kingdom, like, and it was only his world, you think he would have ever gone to the cross? Of course not. Because creation isn't waiting for the unveiling of gods, right? Creation is waiting for the unveiling of the sons of God, family members, people who will sign up for something larger than themselves. And that, I'm telling you, is the ultimate of living in the kingdom. Now, there is so much nuance to this journey. There are so many pitfalls, struggles, challenges in this journey that there is, there's no way I could ever do enough podcasts or write enough books to articulate everything that you might need to know, right? Spirit is the ultimate teacher. And I am happy, you know, people like myself, having mentors, having those who you perceive as being ahead of you in this process is having more freedom or having more joy than you find them and figure out what they do and realize that being born again is is literally only the beginning. Removing yourself from the old way of thinking is is you're halfway there and finding a new way of thinking and stepping into it. Now that is absolutely living the kingdom of heaven now. For me, this process began back in 2007. It was just before my birthday in 2007 was when I spent the night on the beach that night. It's now 2019 So I'm twelve years in and I'm just now having the clarity on a much higher level and a much on a much deeper level. Higher and deeper, those are kind of well, yeah, I think you get what I mean. (laughs) The clarity on what born of spirit is and to live in the kingdom is very fresh for me, and I know I have a couple more years of figuring it out. Now I have a belief and I've 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 kept this belief on purpose because I, I find it valuable that I learn things the hard way, so that I can teach others thoroughly. And uh, I am changing that belief. I need to change the statement. I learn things the thorough way, so that I can teach others. And so I'm not saying that it's going to take you 15 years. You know, it's taken me 12 this point, And I feel like there's a couple more years before I really understand it. I'm not saying it's going to take you 12 to 15 years to figure this out. You can do this in a matter of weeks, especially if you have a teacher. But the reality is seeing what's possible, removing yourself from what was and stepping into that possibility now, that whole process, born again, born of water and born of spirit is known as being born of God. So in John, the gospel of John in chapter one, he says that he has has given the right for us to be born of God, right? Right. So I never, I asked for years, you know, what that was. And it never never clicked to me until a few years ago that, you know, you get born again, born of water, born of spirit and born of God. And I didn't realize, I never asked like born again of what? And that's what it is. It's born again of God. So this entire process, this three-step process is personified as a whole of what it means to be born of God. And this imagery is seen in the temple where that temple building, those those three outer court, holy place and holy of holies is only worth anything if the ark is present, right? So if that incorruptible seed of Jesus, uh, the incorruptible seed of logic and righteousness is not present in who you are, then you haven't even begun the process. But the moment you begin the process is the moment you're given that righteousness. So the moment that the Ark of the Covenant finds its way into the temple, which is your body, the moment that the idea and the heart and the belief in Christ and and the logic of this whole thing, Christ is the Logos, the belief in, in that, the moment that enters into your heart is the moment that you have begun this process. And when you're done with the process, You now are in that fourth step, which is really just a personification of the first step, right? Your jaw just realized what has happened. And so born of God is that final piece that you're born again of God, right? So you're born again, born of water, born of spirit. And in that, when you're finished, you realize that you have become God. You have become God in the flesh, this entire thing is about bringing heaven to earth. And if you want to live heaven, then you have to, you quote unquote, have to connect yourself to heaven, right? Most of us, we, many Christians have, have tried to disconnect ourselves from the world, but we really haven't until we're born of water. Okay. Now we're born of water. Now we disconnect ourselves from the world. Yay. You're not part of the world, but what are you part of? A lot of us are just kind of, a lot of us in this group I know are, are kind of in that like, well, I'm not part of this, but what am I? We started building our own kingdom because we know instinctively that we're supposed to be happy and fulfilled and everything. And that's great. You can stay there as long as you want, but just know that that is the prodigal son who left the father's house, took your inheritance. You took it with you and you're, and you're spending it and you're having a great time. But at some point you'll realize there is a higher way to live and that is bringing the agenda of heaven into your life today. And that is that final born of spirit, that your physical presence and your physical experience of life would bring heaven to earth through you and that in that you become God in the flesh. Like Jesus was fully God and fully man, you become fully God and fully man that God finds in you and unfettered, unbiased vessel through which to bring heaven, born again of God. So this process, this three-step process that is personified by that fourth born of, born of God, to me is the overall map for humanity. That even on a broad scale, all of humanity is going through this process through the old covenant was the born again process of humanity Jesus started the born of water process, but he even says there's a greater work that must be done. And this age we're coming into, this new age of Christianity, is what I believe it means for humanity to step into born of spirit, that we are understanding that we are God in the flesh, and that as God in the flesh, our role, our privilege is to bring heaven to earth, and that the kingdom of heaven would be at hand. It starts with the individual, and in the beginning of this age, we have 2,000 years before all of humanity is doing this. But I want to be one of the first fruits of this age. I want to be one of the first who brings heaven to earth in my life. And in order to do that, I must be, as the scriptures say, those who are led by the spirit of God. These are the sons of God. So let me encourage you. Number one thing you can do is learn the voice of the spirit. Now, I did an episode a few weeks ago. By the time you listen to this one, it may be a couple months ago about the Holy Spirit 101. Right, go listen to that episode. Listen to it again and again. If you have questions, bring them to the Facebook group, like JP did with this with this thing. I would love for this podcast to regularly interact with this community in ways that are relevant to you guys, based on the things that are going on in our discussions on the Facebook group. There is on the front page of the website too a little banner that talks about uh, ask NAC. So if you have a question, you know there are. <laughs> oh my gosh, there are thousands of subjects that we can cover on this podcast or in blogs or in classes or in retreats. And there will be over time. We will, this will become a complete thought form that my hope is that online and digitally that people can find pretty much, you know, what is the new age Christian take on just about any subject from politics to, to vaccines, to, to spiritual anything. But I want to start with subjects that are relevant to you. So using the group, using the Ask NAC uh, form on the website, those are the two uh, ways in which I'm planning at this point to interact with you guys as a community. And rest assured, this process that I've laid out in this episode, to me, is one of the massive filters for how I view everything. And there's a lens that I carry with me that uh, I, I see all the scriptures through, and I see everyone's process through. When I, I, I can't help but uh, but realize where people are at when I talk to them. And it's not judging in the sense of like, oh, you're only born again. No, it's just a realization like, oh, I can't even say certain things because they won't have a grid for it. And that's okay. Right? That is totally okay. Jesus did not argue with anybody. Right? He simply stated what it was, what was reality. And he let them draw their own conclusions. I'm not on this world to argue with anybody. Um, I'm kind of done playing that game. I don't have to be right. I found out so many times how wrong I was and I will continue to find out how wrong I am. I am sure. So until that changes, I'm not really in the mood to argue. And and I'd venture to say that will never change. And even if it did, and if I got all the right answers, then I'm still not going to argue because that's the wrong answer. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you would, uh, you know, share with your friends and, uh, jump on those groups and, and reply and begin discussions. And, uh, if you would consider donating just between you and the Holy Spirit, and, uh, we're trying to grow this community and, uh, make it more and more relevant to where we're all at in life. I've really enjoyed this episode. I enjoy giving this lens, giving this perspective because it really does make a lot of sense to people when they look at how certain uh, certain things seem un- unfinished with the church's message for the most part and that this get out of heaven or get out get out of heaven well well fornian slip get out of hell free card and you know I'm in and you're out that whole concept just falls so flat when you give it any sort of real thought Yet, when you understand that we have made a prison, humanity has made a prison for itself in our minds, and we've made ourselves enemies with God, there is a process to getting free from that, that you get through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you find your way to making it into the tree of life, and that you would live the kingdom of heaven and the fruits of the spirit, and that that heaven would be on earth in you and as you and through you. Alright guys, hope you enjoyed it. God bless you and talk to you later.